Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Rebecca Chesworth. Rebecca is an equity strategist, a thought leader, and a conference speaker. She loves to share a passion for equities investment built on extensive market and client knowledge from 30 years as a fund manager, an analyst, and an investment specialist. She's an advocate of active investment selection and the integration of ESG principles utilizing cheap, flexible instruments such as exchange-traded funds. She is currently a lead strategist on sectors and ESG for spider ETFs at State Street Global Advisors. In this podcast, we talk about exchange-traded funds, the UK and European market. We look back at Q1 2021, why picking your sector is key. We talk about cyclical versus value stocks and whether we should be worried about inflation right now. We also talk about ESG investing and why such a high percentage of women and millennials want to invest responsibly. Rebecca shares what she's excited about in the world of investing, and she also shares some thoughts for women who want to engage much more around their money and investing. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please note that the podcast interview is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Rebecca, welcome to the Purse Podcast. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically your journey to where you are today? Jana, thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast. It's a great series of recordings and I'm so happy to join you. So I'm sitting in London. I'm working at home today. Well, I've been working at home for over a year. And I am someone who is fascinated about the market. And I'm sure we'll get into what I mean by the market. Um, but basically, we're talking about the stock market and we're talking about companies that are quoted on the market. And the journey started with an economics degree. And of course, we can dig into that. But I started as an analyst at a very old fashioned regional stockbrokers. And, and my role there would have been to look at all of the companies, um, to read their report and accounts, um, to understand how they may grow into the future, and then to select the ones that I thought would have the best opportunities. From there on in, and, and this was very much UK equities, we're talking 30 years ago, when you could make a career based just around looking at what was happening in the UK. But things have changed enormously from there on in. It became much more globally that one looks. One has to consider much more elements. And I became or graduated to a portfolio manager or a fund manager, better known. And that's equally as fascinating a job. When you're an analyst, you are talking to the people that run the companies and run the country effectively. So, you know, straight out the university, talking to a chief exec or a finance director and asking them, why did you buy that company or why did you buy more stores or close those stores? It gave you that amazing feeling of being very connected to what was building the UK at the time. You then go on to a role of a fund manager and then, then it becomes much more a position of trust and responsibility. You've had investors quite often pension funds, insurance companies, charities, you know, really have entrusted you with millions of pounds and, and, and you are investing it on their behalf. And then to get us to present day, a large part of my role had always been talking to the clients or explaining to them 
what do we do, why, what are you invested in, what are we expecting, what can you hope for? And really, I went much more to that client side because I love talking about the market. And then in my current role, I'm able to embody all of that. I have a role which is, is called a strategist. So it's, it's really understanding what is going on in the stock market, what's driving it, where would be a good place for investment at the moment, and then that education and, and explanation as well. Now, to help provide some context, can you explain SPDR ETFs? How would you define the market? It might be worth explaining the difference between active versus passive investing. How big is the market? What are some of the key trends you're seeing and why should we care? Let's start at the beginning. So SPDR is Spider. And so the company I work for is Spider ETFs. Spider is very well known as the company that launched the first ETF. That's Exchange Traded Fund. And simply, an exchange traded fund is a fund or a basket of companies. And traditionally, They've sought to be passive. Again, I will explain that in a second. But what an exchange-traded fund traditionally was aiming to do is match the market, match the index or the benchmark. So if you think of some really well-known benchmarks, so we think of S&P 500, the FTSE 100, maybe the CAC or the Dow Jones, or there's many indices that we will have heard about. And what an ETF does is it buys stocks in each one of those companies. So it's trying to match the performance of that index. And, and that's what passive is. So passive investing is trying to grow with stock market, which, if you think about it, is tremendously empowering. If you are a believer in the economy growing, companies growing, margins coming through stronger, and you believe that company share prices will go up, well, why not buy into the whole thing? So that was really the understanding behind launching ETFs. And now they carry these huge advantages, which has made them a very, very popular and fast growing instrument. So they are listed on the stock market as if they were a share in their own right. They trade constantly. So they have a constant pricing, unlike more traditional funds like or unit trusts or investment trusts, which may only price once a day, and they're visible. So what happens is you can find out what is each holding within that fund. So you know exactly what you're holding. And when it comes to some other funds, maybe the active funds, and I'll explain that in a moment, when it comes to another type of fund, you may not always know what's in there because the fund manager may be trying to protect, if you like, their secret source. Because what's happening in an active investment fund is the fund manager is trying to outperform or to beat the broader index. So let's take again the example of the S&P 500. That's the 500 largest companies in the United States of America. Now, there may be fund managers out there who say, right, I only need to hold 56 of these, 57 of these, but I know how to pick the best ones. And that's really where I was at the start of my career. And I'm going to pick those best ones and I'm going to perform better. Now, that's fantastic, but it takes a lot of skill, judgment, and I would say luck. And time has proven again and again and again that the average active fund manager does not outperform over any long period of time because there is so much to consider. And that's really what's behind the popularity of passive ETFs. People have said, I'm not going to try and guess what one company is going to go up or what one fund manager is going to do best for me. 
I'm going to invest in the whole of the United States or the whole of the UK or indeed the whole of the retail sector or, or the whole of the banking sector. So ETFs are now worth trillions of dollars. They are now traded globally. There are very strong markets in the Europe and US, and they're becoming increasingly popular in Asia as well. So much is happening within the stock market and with the ETF business that really matches a lot of what's happened within my career. So it's all global now. One can buy UK market, but you really need to think about how does the rest of the world and what's happening in the rest of the world, and take COVID as a perfect example. COVID was nothing to do with the UK or Europe initially, but it has had a huge impact on the way we live and our economy. So it's so much more global what we need to consider. Very few investors now would just think domestically, they'd look internationally. So I think that's one very, very big trend is considering international impacts. Leverage is another thing. So increasingly, people are going into much more complex instruments. They're not happy to just hold shares, but they want to be able to short them, to be able to sell some shares, borrow against them and buy other shares. They want to leverage up their performance. So there is a lot of more complexity entering the industry. And the other thing, and I definitely know, uh, we'll come on to this because I know it's an area of interest for you, but it's ESG, and I'll, I'll explain that all more later. But that's a key area of growth. And why should we care? Well, as listeners to this podcast, we're interested in money. So ETFs and investment and equities, they are a way for us to make money. They are, you know, it's a form of, of personal investing, you know, to secure our futures. I would say secondly, and the thing that keeps me fascinated is it informs a lot of real world decisions. So what's happening in the stock market today has impacts on all areas of our life. Uh, you only need to think back a year and President Trump and think about how much attention he gave to headlines, how much attention he gave as to whether the S&P 500 was going up. And if it was going up, he didn't want anything to spoil that. So that then dictated what he thought people should do with the dollar and, and interest rates. Now, that's not his job to do that. But you can see how concerns about what's happening to stock prices and, and the value of companies in your country can start to have some impact. And then at the micro level, at the individual company level, then just imagine you are the owner of a chemical company and you have share options in your company, you want that share price to go up. So therefore, should you make a takeover? Should you acquire something or should you dispose of something? Should you put up your dividend? But all of these are things that start to show you how a stock market and a price move can start to impact on real world decisions that then impact on us as employees, as consumers etc. It's a wonderful explanation. And thank you for going into all that detail, Rebecca. We are going to talk about ESG. How does ESG play into this? So ESG ETFs, why is this important? I mean, I'm watching these trends with real interest and delight, I have to say. I'm a big fan of ESG. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about ESG ETFs, what are the assets under management, the growth rate, any trends you're seeing there as well. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, and I know that you know, Jana, but just in case for those who aren't familiar with ESG, the E is environmental. So it's effectively how are companies affecting the environment? And by that, we mean uh, the climate, we mean biodiversity, 
resource use, etc. The S is social. So how is a company impacting their workforce? So that's a very, very big social aspect for them. But how are they impacting the community that they work with and that they sell to and that they buy from? And then finally, the G is governance. So that how is the company being run? Is it being run ethically? Is it taking the right decisions in the right way? And, and that G, for example, has been a huge part of the recognition of women in investment as well. If you think about the G, how is a company run? How many women are there on the board, etc.? That's been a big part of that recently. Now, all of this is getting much greater consideration by companies. It took a while. ESG started as a bit of a tussle between people arguing whether if you had a good ESG company, and you can imagine me saying that in inverted commas, a good ESG company. Now, that used to mean that maybe you would perform a bit better, but there were also critics who would say, well, listen, if you're caring about the environment and your workforce, maybe you're not caring about your margins because maybe you should be buying cheaper or employing fewer people. So there were quite a few arguments as this was getting going. But as we've gone forward, we've seen a premium attach itself to good ESG companies. And therefore, the corporates themselves are paying much, much more attention to this. They are employing huge number of people now to make sure that they are doing the right thing. So that's almost from one side of the equation. And then if you think about the other side of the equation, so us as investors, and particularly women and and female investors come into this category, we really care where our money is going. We don't want to think we're investing in anything that is going to be doing harm in any way. So you've got that demand that things get better as well. It's important because what it means is there's a reallocation of capital. So if this goes to its logical extent, you will see good ESG companies perform and gather much more interest and investment than the bad ESG companies. So that's your reallocation of capital. And you can see that that's happened over the last five years. You can see that oil and gas companies have really been out of favour. There have been some pension funds and charities, etc., who've now said, right, we're not going to invest in oil and gas companies. However they do it, we don't care. They are producing fossil fuels and, and adding to carbon dioxide and giving this huge climate problem. We're not going there. At the same time, they may have then put their money into something they consider a much more green investment, such as electric vehicles. And this is very much something so live today. So, you know, think about President Biden. And we've just gone past his first 100 days in office. And one clear mantra from him has been this green agenda, this climate policy. And so we're going to hear so much more about this. The growth rate is much, much faster than anything else. So more money is going into ESG funds and ESG ETFs in particular, which is a specialist area of mine, much more money is going to that than anything else. And interestingly, it's partly new money, but it's partly old money. So you're seeing people switch out of their S&P 500 ETF, for example, to their S&P 500 ESG ETF or their S&P 500 ESG with exclusions ETF. So this is an increasing trend that we've got within the marketplace. and then. Your final part of the question is, what trends are we seeing? Well, I think we've heard a lot about G and how companies are governed. And and sitting here in the UK, I can say that actually 
We did have the first corporate governance code. We've always been rather good at this kind of stuff. We taught the Americans and a lot of the Europeans how to do this. So we've had a lot of focus on G. We've got a significant amount of focus on the E. But I think it's the S that's become rather more interesting during the COVID pandemic we've been living through. If you think about the way that companies treated their workforce, did they treat them well? Did they put them on furlough? Did they offer any help when they all had to work from home? How did we support populations when they suddenly couldn't go out anymore and they couldn't shop, etc.? And then at the same time, we've seen all of the race issue become huge in the last year, and stemming mainly from the US. But again, how are we treating different people within our businesses? Have we got a fair reflection of society on our boards and in the people we're working with? So I think that that is the thing that's really going to demand a lot of headlines in the years to come. Now, I read a note on LinkedIn where you said, looking forward to a quarter one, Q1 of reopening, recovery and rotation. It is good news for equities, but unlikely to be straightforward. Pick your sector well. Can you explain what you mean by this statement? Why are sectors important to consider? And what did you see play out in Q1 of 2021? And we are obviously in Q2 of 2021. Great question. Getting right down to what I do every day now. So let's start with what's a sector. So effectively, a sector on the stock market is a group of companies that do very similar things. So let's go to consumer discretionary. It's consumer spending, but it's on discretionary items. So items we don't have to have, but we like to have. So within that area of consumer discretionary, for example, you would have spending on luxury goods, on cars, on restaurant meals, on hotels, holidays, et cetera, et cetera. Compare and contrast that to the group of companies called consumer staples. And they are the things that are still nice to have, but most of them we need to have. So within consumer staples, you would have things like food, you would have things like beverages and things that are less discretionary. So things we buy day in, day out, like household cleaning products or hygiene products, etc. So sectors are, are groupings of companies that do similar things and they behave in similar ways. So if you want a shortcut into the market, Rather than think about the thousands and thousands of companies which are listed on the stock market and think, oh, goodness, how do I pick that one company that's going to outperform? You could just think, right, there are 11 sectors. That's easy. I only need to worry about 11 things. Consumer discretionary, consumer staples, financials, energy, materials, industrials, etc. I only need to think about 11 things. And... Because of their nature, they are what's called top-down driven. They're driven by macroeconomic events. So they have the same economic risks and the same vulnerabilities, the same sensitivities to the economic cycle. So what we're saying is every time that the market goes up and we're in an upside and we think the economy will grow, well, guess what? Everybody looks for the same type of company, the industrial companies that will grow very quickly, the consumer discretionary companies where we, you and I, the consumer, will spend more money because we're more positive. So sectors are important as a way to understand the stock market. And what we saw in Q1 was what we call a rotation. So we saw a really, really big change in behavior 
in terms of flows and in terms of the performance of those sectors relative to each other. Because if you think back and you think back to, I think it was the 6th of November, we had that very first vaccine announcement. We had that first sign that everything was going to be okay. Coming very rapidly together, we had the Pfizer announcement, the Moderna, and then the AstraZeneca. We knew at the start of November last year that things were eventually going to be okay, that we will be able to protect ourselves against COVID, that we will be able to move beyond the home, that economies could reopen, so shops could reopen, restaurants, people could go back to work, factories could reopen. So we started to see in November last year, everything would get back to normal. So what happened starting in November, but the trend increased and continued throughout Q1 of the start of this year, is we started to see investors wanting to buy those companies and those sectors that would do well in that scenario. And in that scenario, it's going to be the more cyclical sectors, things like industrials, materials, miners, chemical companies, construction companies. Everybody wanted to be in those companies as the beneficiaries. And what they didn't want were the good old, what we call defensive companies, where really they'd done well. So they'd done their job. The food manufacturers, the beverage companies, the utilities companies, they'd done their job over the last year. So they'd kept going, but they really weren't going to offer us much more in such an exciting time as growth as we're seeing now. So really what happened was investors switched out of the more defensive areas those where it's a steadier growth into the more cyclical areas, those that benefit more when the economy is growing. And they also switched out of what are called growth stocks, stocks that grow very strongly, whatever the environment. So think here, technology companies, fantastic growth stocks growing much faster than the market. But guess what? We know that and we're paying for it. So what investors wanted to do in the environment in Q1 was switch to what are called value companies those that offer a bit more for your money. So that's really what we saw in Q1. Terribly exciting. If we think about just the difference you could have made. So, you know, one of the simplest investments you could have made in Q1 was you could have held a US energy, let's say ETF, or any US energy fund benchmarked to the S&P 500. If you'd held that and you'd avoided the poorest performing sectors of utilities or consumer staples, the defensives, there was a 30%, over a 30% difference between those two sectors in just three months. Wow. And that's where it starts to get very interesting. Very interesting. Very exciting. It's certainly, I think, every day, if you're watching and reading about the market, which of course you are, Rebecca, there is just so much going on. So I think it's very exciting. Now, the UK and European market is showing signs of recovery. I mean, the US most definitely is. What does this mean for folks looking ahead to the rest of 2021 and 2022, in your opinion? Yes. Yeah, so actually, I do client meetings regularly. And one of the questions I'm hearing now is, we know we're on a recovery. We know we're reopening. We've seen this rotation. But we've also seen equities and stock markets go up very nicely already. Is there much to come? Where's the growth going to be? US markets have stormed ahead because they seem to have solved, well, in their own words, they've solved COVID. You've got Biden who's promising all kinds of monetary and fiscal stimulus. And really, one needs to maybe look beyond the US to Europe 
which of course is slower in its vaccination. It's more hesitant in its reopening. We've seen the recent renewed lockdowns in areas such as France and Italy. I mean, they're coming out of them, thank goodness, now, but it has been much slower. So you have to think, well, does that offer you an opportunity? Because maybe investors haven't considered Europe. And I think actually the UK, and we think about the good old FTSE 100 or the FTSE All Share, those indices have really lagged over the last couple of years because not only has the UK had to deal with COVID like everyone else, and we got hit rather heavily at the beginning, but we've also had Brexit. And whatever side of the argument you are on with Brexit, what you realise is that for the years running up, to the end of 2020, so the end of last year, there was a huge amount of uncertainty. We didn't know whether there would be a trade deal. We didn't know where we might do relatively well or poorly. So the UK market and sterling did relatively poorly over that time. But we're past that. We have much more certainty now, a much better outlook. There are still trade deals to come, but we're starting to see how the land lies We've obviously been well ahead in the vaccination. That's fantastic. So we are reopening ahead of the rest of Europe. And the market looks relatively cheap against other markets. So this is somewhere where you might see investors looking for the rest of 2021 and into next year. Now, before we move on, I have to ask you about inflation. Mm-hmm. Whether you're worried about it and if so, why and what impact do you think this will have on investors? Now, again, that's a great question because that's another question that clients are asking every day. You know, should we be worrying about inflation? Now, maybe worry is the wrong word. Maybe we need to be curious about it because inflation isn't always bad for the investor. Yes, as the woman in the street, we see the pounds in our pocket being eroded by inflation. So therefore, we would demand something in return, i.e. a pay rise. But for equities, they actually do relatively well in periods of low inflation. So let's say up to to five or six percent. Equities usually do well in periods like that, because if they've got it right, they can push their prices up and they can increase their margins, their profit margins. So it's not something to be scared of, but something to be curious about. And, And what you would want to do as an investor, and if we go back to the thing we were previously talking about as a sector investor, you'd want to think about what areas of the economy can make the most of this. So areas such as energy and the oil and the gas companies, which have been much maligned because they're bad ESG, but actually they're now having their very short, what could be a very short time in the sun, because you're seeing oil prices having recovered, not all the way, but looking ahead, People are assuming that they will drive more, that holiday destinations will reopen, so demand for fuel will go up. And the energy companies are therefore, in that environment, able to increase their profitability. So it could be good for them. It could be good for the mining companies. So we've seen copper, for example. Copper is amazing. It's it's a 10-year high. Copper is demanded for all types of construction and electrical wiring, but it's also a major part of electrical vehicles. So if you think about the demand rapidly increasing for areas like that, you can start to see how they might benefit from this inflationary environment where you can push your prices up. On the other side of the equation, your poor old food manufacturer is very, very unlikely 
to be able to push up their prices. Because if you are a branded manufacturer, well, you only have to look either side of you on the supermarket shelf to know there are many, many competitors who could just take your place and or the supermarket brand, which always prices lower anyhow. So as I say, it's not something to be worried about, something to be curious about. Now, we've talked about ESG as a real focus as a result of the pandemic. We have seen a huge inflow of capital, as you've said, into ESG ETF funds in 2020. Can you share your insights or any more thoughts that you have on what should we be watching out for this year and further ahead, some of the key trends and, and key changes? Mm, So I think we're going to see more of the same in terms of growth. I think there are many factors, reasons that will continue to drive the demand. So the demand from us as investors for good ESG stocks or at the very, very least, a consideration of ESG. Maybe you are going to be buying into a company whose record on the environment is not fantastic, but you know the company is trying to do something about it. They're trying to clean up their act. So we think that that demand for ESG investment will continue. We think the supply will continue. So, for example, the asset managers out there, and I include State Street Global Advisors, which is the company I work for, which owns Spidery. Yes, we, we're looking at ESG all the time. How can we offer our clients what they want and, and those new types of fund that embody those better ESG behaviors? So you'll get the demand and supply continuing to drive this market. But I think the key driver for the, again, let's go to the woman in the street. We may not have thought about the COP26 much that's going to happen in Glasgow towards the end of the year. And and let's keep hoping that it's going to be face-to-face, real, live, and, and not just on Zoom, which it would have been if it was held last year. But what is happening during COP26 in Glasgow is you're bringing together nations to discuss the environment and to discuss the Paris Climate Agreement that was signed in the last decade and to really start to hold countries to account. How are they going to reduce their emissions? How are they going to reach net zero in terms of the emissions from all of their producers in their country? So we're going to hear an awful lot about climate in the second half of this year, and that can only be good for this area of investment. And I guess the the final thing and the thing I'm watching with great interest is the so-called premium on green stocks. So as I said at the beginning, when we started thinking about ESG, we thought, well, are you going to get better performance? Are you going to get better returns if you invest in a good ESG company? Well, as I said, it was open to debate, but it now appears that there is an element very long term of outperformance of these things. And you can see the premium, that, so the very high rating that's attached itself to some companies like Tesla, who is embodying the electric vehicle, the clean energy. Now, Tesla rate possibly been and gone as an investment. Some people have been very lucky. But for the investor, you want to then think, well, what's going to be there next? Maybe the European auto manufacturers have been slow in this. Maybe Volkswagen, Renault, Peugeot, all of the European branded companies, particularly on the continent in Germany, they've been slow to electric vehicles, but they're doing it now. Will they get re-rated? Will their valuation rise because they are now investing in that new platform? And the electricity producers, will we see their share prices go up because they start to use more and more renewable sources of energy to give us our electricity rather than having had relied on just coal or oil and gas. 
Now, Rebecca, you were quoted in Forbes magazine, I believe it was January of 2020, where you said the ESG person was once seen as a junior. Now their expertise is considered essential. And so now many more men are paying attention. Can you talk us through this and how are women leading the ESG space in the UK and Europe? Yes. So this has been a really interesting journey for ESG. I mean, now everybody wants ESG. Everyone wants to be in on it, of course. So, of course, everybody, a male or female, but it, particularly in the asset management industry, there is still a significant higher proportion of men in those roles where they're managing money or, or leading the company. So everybody wants in on the act now. And that's great for society, for our environment, etc. But, you know, if one thinks back just 10 years ago, then for many companies, it started just as almost a box ticking exercise. You know, we need someone who's going to read through the reporting accounts and who's going to say, yes, tick the box. They've done this with regard to the environment or tick the box. They've got so many people of different ethnic origins on their board. So some of these roles initially were rather, I think, understated and not considered at all important. And so quite obviously, juniors entered those roles, but also a lot of women entered them for the right reasons, because maybe they were more interested in this area, maybe because some women may have that more caring, sharing, you know, I really want to be part of this newer area. So it's really interesting. You know, I've been in the industry 30 years and you can go to conferences still. I can go to client meetings still and not see another woman in the room. But if you go to an ESG conference, mm -hmm. it's absolutely amazing. There's so much more color and laughter there. Yeah. Uh, so really, really, I think it's a very good thing that's happened there. It's a wonderful thing. And it leads on nicely to my next question, because we know that a very high percentage of women and obviously the millennials as well want to invest responsibly with ESG in mind. It really is driving demand, isn't it? How is this shaping the market in your view this year and, and next year and looking further ahead? A lot of what's happening in ESG investment is coming from the demand side, so what the investors want. So obviously, if you see new investors to the market, they're going to bring with them new demands. And so on the whole, women have been later to enter the investment market, but they bring with them a desire to invest in different types of things. And the millennials, and I think the millennials is an important factor. If I think about conversations I've had with private banks and the individuals they represent, they are saying to us that we've got this interesting inheritance issue going on. So you've got across Europe, maybe industrialists or company owners or people who've built up a huge wealth and have invested in their favorite areas. But as they then retire or they die or they pass on their money to the next generation, who then will be the clients of those very large private banks, they are demanding something else from their investment. So they are the ones who are saying, well, we want something different. So as that transfer of money happens to that younger generation, you see different demands and you see different trends open. So all of this is, I think, pointing to even more growth in the ESG market. I'm going to shift gears, Rebecca, and I'm very interested to know what your personally excited about in the world of investing in 2021, 2022. This is your personal view. Obviously, this is not advice. I ask my guests how they choose to personally invest their money because as women, we want to be talking more about this stuff. 
So if you're happy to share, what are you personally excited about and how do you personally invest your money? So personally, I live what I breathe and I believe very much in the ETF as a way of investing money or just using that as the instrument because it offers an easy access to the market, relatively cheap. And again, I breathe what I speak in terms of wanting to pick the region and the sector that will outperform rather than just the stock, because I've been there, I've been an analyst and a stock picker, and you can spend hours and hours of work and just picking one stock. And then guess what? They've got a bad egg at the top or a fraudulent investigation or a new competitor comes into the market and absolutely everything is wiped out of the share price. Whereas if you invest across the board, so if you're a believer in, for example, why not invest in that recovery in the UK as a whole? Or why not invest in the banking sector in the US? To me, that's the way that I would think about it. I'm not sure because of the timing of the podcast that there's anything I want to go out there as saying the biggest thing that I would buy today because things change enormously. But what I will say is that there will be opportunities. So in the next few months, something will get left behind. If we think about last year, energy, oil and gas stocks got left behind. And there's been a tremendous opportunity to make a lot of money in those in the last couple of months. The second thing I can guarantee is that something will grow rapidly that we haven't really thought about. But if you're early in on that trend, you could make a lot of money. So if you think about COVID and you think about the early response to COVID, well, most companies in the market fell immediately, but there were some biotech companies those who are looking at the therapeutics and how you could possibly cure or treat COVID that rose enormously. And then the third thing that I can absolutely guarantee is that there will be something new that I need to understand and get my head round and think about the implications for the market. So a year ago, I might not necessarily have heard of the Reddit platform or GameStop, but yeah. this was something that was a huge impact. Retail investors effectively, I think it was February this year, January, February, talking on a platform saying, right, we're going to make some money. We're going to take on the hedge funds. We're going to start buying the stocks that they're shorting, i.e. the ones that they have sold because they think the price will go down and they're betting against. Well, we're going to buy them. We're going to buy things like GameStop, which is a video store retailer who thought that they still existed. Uh, so you, you then have to think, right, goodness, what's on Reddit? What's GameStop? What are the retail investors doing? How can the retail investors move the marketplace, et cetera? So what I would say is just kind of there's always something and you've just got to be early on it and understand the implications. So that's a, a long way round of, of saying there's a lot out there. Currently, I think the, the cyclical and the value sectors offer us still a significant opportunity. I think this reopening has more to come, but that will change and it will change. And one thing that we will know is we don't always know how it will change. The very important point that you made is how critical it is to watch and learn and, and constantly observe on a regular basis, because that's how you understand the market. Now, what advice do you have for women who want to invest in ETFs, ESG ETFs, but they've never done it before and don't really know where to start? I guess the first thing is to start, to do something, to start somewhere. So if you think about equities, so they're the stocks of the companies that we're talking about, on average, they go up about 8% a year. So that's much more than you're ever going to make in 
cash with interest rates as low as they are, or in many other assets, much more than you'd make in government bonds, etc. So even if you were to buy the simplest thing, so if you were to buy an ETF in the S&P 500, or even if you were to buy an ETF in the S&P 500, but excluding all the bad ESG stocks, to bring in another part of our conversation, even if you just started that simplest level, you are then in the market. So that's what I'd say. I'd say start somewhere. You never know where you're going to start. I mean, I was a child of the 80s and Mrs. Thatcher, and you had privatizations. And I was able to buy the gas and the electricity and water companies. I was enamored by the Tel Sid campaigns. I don't know if anyone remembers them, but there'll always be a spot that gets you into the market. But once you're there, you're in there. It becomes part of your everyday life, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, do you have any final thoughts for women who want to engage much more around their money and investing? You've shared so much, Rebecca, with us today. Any final thoughts? How can we as women engage much more around our money and invest? What I would say, very importantly, is empower yourself. We all have money invested, even if we don't know it. So every one of us that has a corporate pension has money invested. Every one of us who has some types of insurance policy. So know where that's invested. But then read and question. And the wonderful thing about the stock market is the real world application of the news. So you hear some news. You hear that China and US maybe have fallen out over trade relations. How's that going to affect things? Could there be an opportunity here? So, you know, read, question and understand. Thank you, Rebecca. I've enjoyed every minute. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.